we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. I am just heartsick at the tragic happenings in Israel. Sadly, hate travels at the speed of light. I'm Dr. Marilyn Singleton, and welcome to America Out Loud Pulse. Over the years, racists and other hate mongers faded from sight. Some saw the errors of their ways, while others just hid in the closet. The recent rise in anti-Semitism in America is the canary in the coal mine for the growing acceptance of overt contempt for people who are not like you. They say courage is contagious, but these days so is contempt. The war in Israel and the loss of many lives, including Americans, brings the end result of unbridled hatred to our front door. The Chicago Black Lives Matter organization posted a since-deleted graphic seemingly celebrating Hamas's slaughter of Israelis. Stanford, my alma mater, Columbia, Harvard, among many others, have their students cheered and clapped for Hamas and displayed signs of support from their dormitory windows. I mean, All over the world, Hamas has been labeled a terrorist organization, and they're pro-Hamas, or maybe they don't know the difference. They're not talking about the ordinary residents of the area. It's these everyday residents who will suffer from the decision of their leadership to perform acts of inhumane barbarism against civilians in the name of seeking autonomy. Sadly, according to Hamas's charter, autonomy can only come by wiping Israel off the face of the earth. This divisive mindset is being fostered in all aspects of American life, all under the banner of equity. California's Governor Gavin Newsom signed into law an ebony alert. This is an amber alert just for Black children and women. This is supposed to get more media attention, but it just serves to divide us into separate groups. But that's the plan. Have you ever heard of divide and conquer? Well, it's an age-old tool of tyrants. Today, the, the day I'm recording this, is October 13th, and it's supposedly the worldwide day of jihad. Let's hope that violence does not come to fruition. My guest has discussed on this show several weeks ago how the current woke movement is a breeding ground for anti-Semitism. We will discuss this again in the light of the current Middle East situation. David Bernstein is the founder of the Jewish Institute for Liberal Values. The Institute supports viewpoint diversity It counters woke ideology in the Jewish community and opposes novel forms of anti-Semitism emerging from woke ideology. He served as president and CEO of the Jewish Council for Public Affairs, a national umbrella for local Jewish advocacy. 
Welcome to the show, David Bernstein. Thank you, Marilyn. It's great to be back on. Yes, it's sad under the circumstances, but I just, I'm so glad you could come on because I just, I feel like we have to talk about it. People, many people are stunned, I suppose, just like with anything else. Some people ignore everything and don't care, but our listeners care. So I just like to discuss this whole thing. I just kind of want to start at the beginning with you. I mean, you're a quote unquote liberal, but what are true liberal values? Yeah, there's a lot of confusion around the term liberal, right? Um, liberal and the American political scene generally means you're left of center politically um, and you support, you know, a whole host of issues, usually abortion rights and church state separation and um, and so and so forth. Um, liberal in the classical sense means that you support the free expression of ideas and the rule of law and the like. And I that's that's what I mean by liberal. And I also mean that generally I, I've been somebody who supported some central left policies over the years, but I've always understood, I mean, going back literally 20 years when I wrote about it, that there was a radical progressive movement afoot in the discourse that was gaining ground, that looked at the world very differently than classical and even political liberals did. It wasn't about what your view was on universal health care, for example. It was, did you believe that America was a halfway decent place that was trying to live up to its own ideals? Or did you believe that it was a pervasively racist and oppressive country in the here and now? And that was the, the new ideology that was taking shape within liberal discourse, within the broader left. And I, 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 for a lot while, it was sort of the minority voice, but a really strong minority voice. And it's become much more dominant. And I started to warn about this ideology taking root. And I eventually left in um, 2021, winter of 2021, my position in an umbrella organization that had mostly progressive views. And I warned people when I left that there was an ideology taking hold that contradicts our basic values as Americans as and as Jews. And that ideology has grown and it has become dominant. And we are seeing it in these horrific protests on campus, the most extreme forms of it today. And I think it's a wake-up call for a lot of American Jews. Well, it's, do you think now, it, you're from an immigrant family. Do you think because your family are immigrants that you feel more deeply and you're more closely attached to the Holocaust that maybe many current folks are now? Some folks, sometimes they don't even think they know what the Holocaust was but that helps form your sense, really, of moral clarity. I think that's part of it. My mom is a Jew from Baghdad, Iraq, and I grew up with stories about how, how horrific a political culture could be in another country. There was no comparison, in my mom's view, of anything that happens in the United States, contemporary in America, and what was the state of play in Baghdad, Iraq, where, you know, people would be um, murdered and um, and taken to jail without trial and the like. And so I grew up knowing the difference between true 
autocracy, totalitarianism and brutality, and the imperfections of a democratic society. So that was part of my upbringing. And it also was accentuated by my experience in Israel, because I went to Israel for a year when I was 18 years old. And I got back to campus and I realized that people were treating Israel as if it were responsible for all, not only the Arab world's wrongs, but the world's wrongs. And that that also informed my worldview. I realized how how myopic people could be and how um, how confused they could be, morally confused they could be about what was happening in their midst. So that experience, too, sort of reinforced what I grew up with understanding. It's it's interesting you talk about having gone to Israel. I think of people in America have who haven't gone anywhere, you know, whether it be Israel or any other country, and they sit here talking about how awful America is. I say to them, just pick a country and go there and see what it's like, and you'll be very surprised and very grateful that you live in the United States of America. Absolutely. There's a lack of ability to compare and contrast at a fundamental level. So the idea that we're that we have, let's say, an education program coming out of California, it's called Liberated Ethnic Studies, ethnic studies that is now mandated in K through 12 schools, that basically teaches that the West and American society are fundamentally and pervasively corrupt and oppressive, is just completely lacking in any comparative imagination and assessment with other societies that don't even come close to having achieved the level of fairness and justice that we have in American society. So um, I, I think that, you know, we, we've allowed those voices to become dominant. You know, there was this great piece, and I don't remember his name. He's the, I think, the chair of the board of the uh of the Wharton School at University of Pennsylvania, who said, you know, I'm a trustee of a major university. And like many others, I didn't speak out and I allowed my own university to be captured by ideologues. Like they knew that there was a sickness that was sort of setting in, but they just didn't want to challenge it because people were so enthusiastic, so insistent that it was true. And we just all allow, we're all complicit in allowing a really dangerous ideology to set into our mainstream institutions. And now we've got to go back and try to undo it. It's it's interesting to me, and I've said this before, the one good thing that came out of all the shutdown in COVID was that parents saw, in many cases, certainly in lower school, middle school, high school, what their children were being taught. And many parents were appalled. So some of the voices are starting to counteract the very loud minority. But like you say, and this is what makes me mad, is that we allow the loud mouths to win just because they're loud, not because they're right, and not because anybody sat down and analyzed what they had to say, just because they're loud and very mouthy and in many cases, threatening. And we've got to get over that. It's Yes, we do. We do. There's this great phrase that I like, never wrestle with a pig because you'll get dirty and the pig will like it. Well, a lot of political moderates, whether you're center right or center left, 
never want to wrestle with the pig because they don't want to get dirty, right? They and um and so they don't wrestle with a pig, and as a result, they um end up the pig ends up in charge, right? The pig ends up dominant, and it looks like the pig is much bigger than the pig really is. And so I think we've got um we've we've got to start standing up people thoughtful people moderate people who just want society to run as effectively as possible and to you know participate in democratic elections and the like and um, don't want their kids to be indoctrinated by ideology they've got to start showing up and taking risks that they've weren't willing to take before absolutely and one of the things i I think a lot of people understand and they're starting to understand just looking at the comments that came up. Uh, there's those little local newspapers called the patch and you can sign up for the one in your town or city or whatever. And it gives you the local news. And I was reading about this ebony alert and many people, a few people say, Oh, well, how good. But so many people said, we have Amber Alerts. Why do you need a separate alert? It's just something to divide people. And this whole, and you could see from some of the com the comments, what has happened that they, when they've used this notion of equity, it just gets resentment. You know, people yeah. are saying stuff like, well, are we supposed to care more? You know, that if it's a black child, no, we care about all children who are kidnapped. I mean, the whole idea of all this separate stuff. And then they did a feather alert for Native American children. And and it's the same thing that's going out on the highway. So what are people supposed to think? Everybody knows the name Amber Alert. And so you see feather alert. What the heck is that? You know, right, I mean, right. the, it's the, just the, a the latest, divisive. Yeah, the latest in separation was a Stanford University professor asked his Jewish students to stand apart and said, this is what it feels like to be a Palestinian. This just happened in the classroom in the last two days. Um, you know, this this is of a piece with the affinity groups that have been set up through DEI departments at universities that divide people into black affinity groups, Asian affinity groups, white affinity groups. An Asian American friend of mine, she's Chinese American, said she was put into an affinity group with an Iranian woman as if somehow that they had some cultural experience that binded the two in America, you know, some collective grievance against American society because they were both Asian. Um, so, you know, this is the kind of thinking that makes it possible for a ridiculous professor at Stanford, who, by the way, has been suspended. I don't know what the status of that is, but he was suspended for separating Jewish students out. He thought he could get away with it because that's what was already happening. And um, and I think we've got to pause for a second. And maybe, maybe, Marilyn, this will be the spark that lights people up, that makes them understand how dangerous this ideology was. And maybe American Jews will have a role to play. You know, I think a lot of the, you know, a lot of the people who, um, you know, a lot of my friends, when I left the fold, when I left the progressive fold and started calling out the ideology, you know, saw me as a kind of heretic and, and saw me as betraying them. And I was trying to warn them, not to betray them. I was trying to warn them that there was an ideology that maybe they didn't fully understand that was going to come back and haunt us. 
And now maybe they have a role. You know, I got this great message I'm uh, this morning. There's this guy who's been like one of my chief protagonists online who constantly takes swipes at me. And we had an email exchange about a week ago that wasn't very pleasant. And um, he emailed me this morning. He's Jewish. He's a leftist. He said, I hope you are doing okay. It's clear that there is a radical left in North America that is aligned with Hamas. The firestorm of hatred is raging. Hamas is a death cult. Sad to say you were right. Thanks for engaging with me. It helped me find moral clarity. So, if, you know, he, that's one person. I don't want to pretend that he's representative of the American Jewish left or or certainly, you know, in other halfway rational people. But I but I'm I'm hopeful that enough people will realize that we have a huge problem on our hands. It's an ideological problem. It's not just the symptoms. We always look at the symptoms like, yes, 30 Harvard groups come out and issue a statement of solidarity with Hamas after they massacre Israelis. That's a symptom. But we, if we don't understand the ideological roots, we really can't oppose it. It's like severing anti-Semitism from its ideological underpinnings makes no sense. You have to understand that it's linked to larger ideologies and conspiracy theories. And wokeism is one such ideology in which anti-Semitism finds fertile grounds. And so we have to be able to talk about that. Until now, we haven't been able to talk about that. I'm hopeful that that um, um, more American Jews are going to finally say enough is enough. We're going to start challenging American universities. The trustees at Penn and Harvard and Columbia, a lot of them were Jews, not all, obviously. Maybe, you know, it's maybe it's 15%, I don't know, 20%, but there are some heavy hitters, you know, are going to start demanding accountability. And they're going to start a process which is not going to end tomorrow or next year, but it's going to take a while of, of trying to revamp university cultures around the United States. Well, on that note, we'll take our break. And when we come back, we'll go into one, we'll talk about and let people know what Hamas is. How did it form? How, you know, what's going on in the area in Gaza, the area uh, where Palestinians live? Who are the Palestinians? And how did, why now? that all this should take off. I certainly have my own ideas, but I'd like to hear yours. And weave that back in to this woke ideology and what it's doing to us in America. So we'll discuss that after the break. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced. These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. 
Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order, risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Out loud. Before the break, I said that we talk about a little bit of history of what's going on in Israel as we speak. Um, what is Hamas? Yeah, so Hamas was, is a, it's also called the Islamic Resistance Movement. It, it was formed in 1987 during the first intifada, which is the uh, the eruption of protests and violence in Palestinian areas in the mid-1980s, in 1987. So it emerged alongside the, uh, the first intifada, and it was uh, founded by a Muslim cleric named Ahmed Yassin. And it merges out of the Muslim Brotherhood ideology, which has been the movement in the Islamic world that, uh, that, that believed fundamentally that Islam needed to reestablish itself on the world scene by being true to its own precepts and fighting against the West, a complete war against the West. That's how Islamic uh, Muslim, Muslim Brotherhood emerged. And it and it is its form in the uh, the Palestinian areas is in Hamas. OK, so it is a Muslim Brotherhood movement. Um, its covenant from the very beginning called for the complete annihilation of the Jewish state and the murder of Jews. Um, and so it really made no bones about what it wanted to achieve. But for the last, you know, uh, 30 or so years, you have apologists in the State Department, in academia and the like, who suggest that, well, Hamas really doesn't mean what it says. It can be talked to. It can be. It can be uh, it can be engaged. It can be brought into the peace process, and um, and so they always they always downplayed its danger, um, and sometimes they even blamed Israel for you know propping it up somehow by doing X, Y, or Z. Always ridiculous arguments, um, but it is like ISIS, like Al Qaeda, a terrorist movement. It always has been. When you you know when people send child suicide bombers into pizzerias in Israel, that's not a moderate movement. That's not a moderate movement. Moderates don't do that. Um, you know, other societies, even if you believe the whole oppression narrative of Palestinians, other societies don't, don't resist that way. That's a, that, that comes out of a very specific cultural milieu. And so that's Hamas. And that's, those are the people that invaded Israel on October 7th and walked into kibbutzim and mushavs and other communities in Israel and just murdered moms and grandmothers. They kidnapped Holocaust survivors. They massacred babies. I, You know, you've heard the horrors. I don't need to recite them here again. Um, that's us. That's what they believe. That's what they've always believed from 1987. So I think Israel also felt like it had to accommodate them because there was no other option. You know, the other option might have been a Somali style sort of, you know, gang warfare. 
um, uh, um, and they didn't want that. They needed somebody to hold accountable. But but now they they realize how, that they can't live with Hamas on their border, Hamas state on their border, which is what Gaza is. Well, people say, well, goodness, they were the elected leadership. I mean, there used to be the PLO with Yasser Arafat, and then there was some election, and the, the people decided that Hamas would be the rulers when I remember when that happened, all I could think about was uh, back in the way old days in Vietnam when there was an election and remembering the CIA telling the winner, I'm glad you didn't win by 100%. You know, it was just the sort of thing where you you wonder how fixed that election was. It's hard for me to imagine that an entire group of people, many of whom are just regular folks, would vote for terrorists to be their leadership. Marilyn, I actually want to challenge you on that a bit, if you don't okay. mind. Uh-huh. Um, I think that those... I'm not saying they were perfectly fair elections, but if anything, the PA, the Palestinian Authority, was in charge of those elections and had every incentive to tilt the vote toward them and not toward Hamas. So unfortunately, the the votes, and this is going way back into, I think it was 2005 when the elections were held. So it's been a while since there were elections. But um, unfortunately, the Palestinian populations voted Hamas in power in a way. They gave Hamas, the imprimatur of the Palestinian people. Um, and it was after that that the Palestinian Authority then put down Hamas. And um, and then later, Hamas deposed the Palestinian Authority in Gaza Strip in 2007 and took control of Gaza. Now, I want to be a little bit nuanced here, because, but I think it's, 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 it's really challenging to sort of make sense of what we're seeing. Um, obviously, there are 2 million people living in Gaza. Obviously, they didn't all storm into Israel and murder Israelis. There were probably several thousand that did, but they didn't. But that culture of hate exists in Gaza. There's also no doubt, by the way, that there were Palestinians who in Gaza who looked at what was happening and were recoiled from it. But, but that doesn't mean that there was not a culture of hate that was quite pervasive in Gaza that allowed Hamas to enjoy popular support and legitimacy. And, um, and that doesn't mean that those people, even those people, by the way, who celebrated the murder, they're not combatants. They shouldn't be thought of as combatants. Okay. You're, you know, it's disgusting, but they're not combatants. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're not, they're not complicit. And we shouldn't delude ourselves into thinking that there's Hamas and there's everybody else in Gaza because, because Hamas does enjoy a great degree of legitimacy in its rule of Gaza. I'm sorry to say. Well, that's sad. And when you say that, all I could do was think back to, you know, where it began, how we met through your book, Woke Anti-Semitism, that having us here in the United States slowly, under the name of equity, delve into that kind of culture of hate. And that's a scary thought that we could become like that. Yes. I mean, you know, societies do become sick. You know, I would argue that Jim Crow America was sick or the culture that produced slavery in early America was sick. It had a sickness. Doesn't mean there wasn't good in it, but there was a sickness, right? That wasn't just 
that wasn't just a few people. There were a lot of people that had to support that 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 society, that culture. And um, cultures changed, by the way. It's not like you know just because there's a sickness, there will always be a sickness. But you know, look at ja 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 the Japanese culture that supported Cosmicati fighters. Uh, flying into American warships during that. I mean, um, they J Japan would have fought for to every last man to win World War II until, of course, the 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 bombings in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So that's culture. That culture changed after a U.S. occupation, after the uh, American bombardment. But um, you know, I think one of the one of the problems that we have in our current discourse that is sort of a an outgrowth of the ideology that we've been talking about is the inability to talk about culture and culture differences. Not all cultures are the same. Some cultures don't value human life as much as other cultures do. And the culture that we're seeing in large swaths of the Arab world, not equally, not equal measure, but certainly in places like Gaza Strip, is a culture that that creates Hamas, that allows Hamas to dominate. And um, that's what we're dealing with here. That's why it's very hard to sort of just defeat Hamas and hope it all hope it all goes away. It won't all go away, but it might change enough to make Israelis feel safer. It's interesting you talk about the difference in cultures. I uh, earlier in my career had residents from really all over the world, and I remember a resident from Burma. He said. Marilyn, you have to realize in Burma, life is cheap. And, and and it had come about because he was mugged in the parking lot and kind of dusted himself off, came into work and was, you know, happy as a clam, just like it was every other morning. And, you know, all of us are kind of, oh, oh, what happened to you? You know, and everybody's wringing their hands. And, you know, it's kind of like, hey, that's a fact of life. That's how he grew up. So, and and it comes into and in a little off off subject, but kind of in subject is with the immigration problem we're having here in the United States and massive border crossings of people who we have no idea where they came from, and a massive influx of people that have a different cultural ethic and the way they think of things, and where they aren't enculturated into our current American society, and that causes problems too. It can. By the way, the other question you can ask is, what are we acculturating immigrants into, yeah. right? Are, if we're acculturating immigrants into a society that is that is proud of its own history, proud of its, its uh, confident in its future, willing to stand up for itself, then the immigrants who come here are brought into a certain kind of America that they can then contribute to, right? If we're acculturating immigrants into a society that's lost its sense of self, um, which is running low on you know patriotic sentiment, which it now starts to regard itself, particularly you know and on the left as um, as pervasively oppressive and racist, then immigrants are going to have a very different trajectory in many cases. And so we have to ask ourselves both ends of the immigration question. You know, what do we do about immigrants coming to this country? And not, by the way, I mean, I, I, I'm pro-immigrant. I come from immigrant families. I understand why people from Mexico or El Salvador would want to come and live in this country. And I see some very hardworking people 
whether they have documentation or not. They're hardworking people that are showing up for work every day. But I want those people, wherever they come from, hopefully legally, and they should come legally, um, to come into an America that is confident about who it is and where it's going. And unfortunately, that makes it harder to do immigration when you're a country that's not in that place. Well, it's interesting because there are so many immigrants because they really have come from true oppression, not some of the fake oppression that, you know, college students are going to a $50,000 a year college and say they're oppressed. I, you know, it's weird right. uh, that they know the difference. And they see the opportunity here and they see the kindness of people here and um, how welcoming America can be. And this is one of those things. And again, we'll get back to the Middle East where you can create a narrative and people will believe the narrative because in general, we don't study history and we don't know. We listen to sound bites, but we don't know the true history. I certainly don't. I know about some things, but not all, and wish I knew more. But that's why we have to listen to people who really do know the history and form our ideas from that, not from a politician flapping their gums on the TV news. Right. We we really need to go back to the basics and start understanding who we are, what we came from, what our core values are of a society. When you lose that, you lose everything. You, you, we, and um, and I understand like it's being torn in multiple directions and multiple places, and um, and people who have no vision for what kind of America they would create, if they do have a vision, it's not a good one, um, are are setting the the narrative. So I think we've got to go back to the basics as a country and ask ourselves, who are we as Americans? What does it mean to be both patriotic and pluralistic as a society? Because we're not all the, we don't come from the same place and we bring different cultures and so forth. And that's the energy that that American society is. It's different from, from a lot of countries in Europe, for example. It's much more heterogeneous. And I think that's, that's it can be beautiful if you, if you allow it to function that way. So I think uh, we've we've lost our way a bit, and we have to find our way again. But I, you know, just to take us back to what this means, you know, for people like me in the Jewish community, this has got to be a frightening moment, you know, um, that a wake up call that that we've allowed really disturbing forces to take hold in institutions that we've long been confident in, like universities and nonprofits and many of the organizations that we've been part of, and they do it in the name of this great sounding word like called equity. Um, and then they pursue the most inequitable policies possible and they divide us. And um, and and it didn't come from nowhere. But this is what I want to scream from the rooftop, my my Jewish rooftop on the, the synagogue rooftop. This did not come from nowhere. It is not an accident that you are getting all these mealy-mouthed statements from university presidents and you are seeing people teaching our children say that they justified the murder of Israelis. It didn't come from nowhere. It, it has its causes. We have to talk about those causes as uncomfortable as that may be for some of them. Well, I think after the break, we will talk about some of those causes. And one of the things when you bring up what is America and that we're heterogeneous society and we've got all sorts of different kinds of people and it 
really breaks my heart when I grew up where we were all trying to get together and to see this new ideology trying to keep us in groups, you know, that so-called balkanization where every group is going to have their own neighborhood, their own school, their own graduation, these affinity groups. And that's not the America that seemed to be the principle when this country started. So we're going to talk about some more of this uh, ideology, how this all started, and what we can do about it, and a little more about the war in the Middle East when we come back. For right now, sometimes I feel so disheartened, but there is something we can do to help ourselves. And it's something I've talked about before, and it's using Cofix RX. It's cold and flu season, and most of us get sick. Pretty much 95% of these upper respiratory and lower respiratory illnesses come through the nose. That's why Cofix RX was invented by its name. You can tell it was invented during COVID, but it works for lots of viruses and bacteria. So what this is, it's nasal spray squirted in the nose and you catch these germs, nip them in the bud before they have a chance to get farther down your respiratory tract and make you sicker. I use it when I go out in big crowds and go grocery shopping around people that I'm normally not around, give myself a couple of squirts. And it's made with its simple ingredients, povidone iodine, xylitol, and both of these have antiviral properties. Nothing's foolproof, nothing's going to cure everything, but this is something we can do for ourselves to try to keep ourselves more healthy during this cold and flu season. One thing I love about it, it was invented in the USA and it's manufactured in the USA. So what could be better than that? Click on our Cofix RX button on our page and uh, read more about it. See if it's for you. I like it. Hopefully you will too. Change in the world one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. 
For a limited time, when you add the new Copix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Copix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Before the break, we were talking about, really, I look at it as our American culture kind of degenerating into some sort of odd, uh, I don't know, what can you say, ideology that a handful of very loud people have made people think that the road to so-called equity is paved with division. So how how do you explain all this, David? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I believe that there is a social model that can work. And we've talked about it before. You know, there's a great metaphor um, that I like from a book called The Omni-American. And he talks about, um, I'm blanking on the name, for, but I'll think of it, um, antagonistic cooperation from that merges out of the, the jazz experience. Um, and I think that's the model we're looking for. We, we remain in dialogue and, and sometimes antagonistic cooperation with each other. Um, and, and we have a narrative right now that tries to do the exact opposite, that doesn't want cooperation with each other, that on a fundamental level seeks to divide. The, the other, I've, I've been a part of an email exchange leading up to a debate I'm about to participate in next week with another Jewish leader. And we were sort of just sort of putting all our cards on the table. And he recently made the, he made the comment that, you know, like these excesses, which I would call woke excesses, are sort of hiccups on the road to justice. They're like growing pains. So he'll acknowledge, yeah, that that there's some excesses taking place there. But, you know, if we understand that we're actually on the road to justice here, then we, we won't take them too seriously. And to me, this is an utter inversion of the social model that would lead us to a, a better society, a more humane society. It is not a hiccup on the road to justice. It is an absolute detour on the road to justice. Because, because all great social movements in democratic societies involve openness and discourse and free discussion. And people now are walking on eggshells. This does not inspire people to come together and remake American society in a positive light. It does the opposite. In some ways, I worry that the extreme identity politics on the left that we're seeking, where everybody uses our institutions as a performative stage for their grievances, is actually creating a very dangerous identity politics um, um, on the right as well. You know, a sort of an extreme white identity politics that also has its dangers. Um, you know, and and I don't want to see that. So the you know when 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 every community is allowed and encouraged to broadcast their grievances on the public stage, you know whether it's whether it's Latinos or blacks or transgender or whatever, it's hard to then tell white Americans that they're not 
just Americans, but that they shouldn't accentuate their own white identity politics because it works for everybody else. Why shouldn't it work for them? And um, I don't have a good answer to that because it because we've created a permission structure for that in the larger society. So it's going to bring out the worst in all of us. And it undermines the common enterprise of American values. So I think that's why this is not a hiccup on the road to justice. This is a huge detour. And we've got to get back on the road. Well, this is the sort of thing that, and again, people looking at the Middle East and seeing these divisions and how can a oppressed people ever uh, conquer their oppressors and having the um, Jewish state uh, painted as an oppressor, again, without facts and not looking at everything that's gone on historically. And I mean, and even going way back to when Palestinians were named after the Philistines, all these things that people don't know, yet they glom on to these instant divisions. And that's what we're doing now. And we certainly don't want a war like we're seeing. And I wonder whether some of the stuff that's going on the in the United States help pave the way. I mean, we've had these skirmishes and people who live in Israel are used to it. I mean, sad to say, but why this big attack now? What was it? Is it the general goings on of the world, Ukraine, United States having all these you know, rallies for this, that, and the other and getting into the oppressor jag? Um, why now did Hamas do this big attack? Yeah, there's probably a multiple of reasons one can come up with all of which sort of fall flat to a degree. One of them, of course, was the Israeli-Saudi negotiations that might lead into a broader Abrahamic Accords framework for the Middle East. Iran especially desperately does not want to see that take shape. And Iran is the main funder and backer of Hamas and Hezbollah and has every incentive to destabilize that region in any way that it can. Now, we don't know the precise role that Iran played in the operations of this attack, but we do know that the, the ongoing ideological inspiration and the modus operandi of Iran vis-a-vis Hamas. So it's hard to imagine that they had nothing to do with this. I, I imagine we're going to learn a lot more about that in the days ahead. So I, I think that that uh, that they felt like they were running out of time to a degree. But let's just understand that, you know, that this is a movement, this Islamic resistance movement, as it calls itself, Hamas, and the broader range of groups, they're, they're, they're looking to find their moment, whatever it is, 50 years after the Yom Kippur War in 1973, when Israel was invaded in a surprise attack. I mean, they're looking for ways of, of expanding their footprint in the Middle East and becoming the dominant voice in the Middle East and to, and to shut down everybody else and to kill off democracy, which they think is an enemy of Islam. So there's a hundred different explanations, but I think ultimately it's an insatiable force in the Middle East that's going to pick its opportunities. I don't think we should try to too much credence to ideas that this was, you know, of our own making. I mean, yes, it would be better if the United States had been much more forceful with Iran 
and had a stronger deterrence in the region than it does now, that might have that might have made it less likely, but probably not, you know, in, at the end of the day. What, what, what disturbs me, though, is when we have people, you called it um, unbridled hate, um, you that that are willing to just support these massacres without any qualification. You know, if you would ask me, Marilyn, what did I what would I think that the sort of far left crowd that I monitor closely in the United States would do, ha having heard about massacres like this, unimaginable massacres, I would have guessed they would say that was terrible, but Israel had it coming. That's what I would have expected them to do. They didn't even say that was terrible. In fact, they started creating this meme of the of the gliders of these Palestinian um, murderers on gliders coming in and massacring Israeli kids, children. They were proud of these of these people who perpetrated the massacres, and they're spreading around these memes on their Instagram pages and and everything else. So um, I I have to say that's shocking, and that's why. You know, even though I, I, you know, I watch all the, I watch Fox, I watch CNN, who I, I read the newspaper, I, you know, follow social media, and I'm, I'm 24/7 on this. I'm paying a lot of attention to what's happening on the American front because there are huge Hamas-supporting constituencies in this country, and we've got to, we've got to deal with them. Do I think they're the cause of the attack on Israel? No. Do I think we've got a problem on our own hands? Yes. Well, we certainly do. And it goes back when you talk about the changing of the culture and having us look for flaws in other people. That's one of the reasons I object so much to this concept of microaggressions. If you look for problems, you will find them, even when they don't exist. And I've when people would say, oh, so-and-so was nasty to me, they must be a racist. And I said, have you ever thought that so-and-so had a big fight with their wife before they came in to work and that they were nasty to everybody who was a customer that day? And some people, the light bulb goes off. It's not always about you, but us. what we're doing now in America is, may, my mother used to used to have an expression that she'd tell us. Now, remember, girls, the world doesn't revolve around you. And so we were brought up with that concept of everything isn't always about you. But we're flipping that, where with these kids, everything's about them, and, and everything is some sort of personal affront. Therefore, you can be uh, violent and and respond with violence. It's like when there were the BLM riots and some, and these were educated people saying, "Well, it's their way of having reparations." Well, that's you know ripping up stores and making your neighbors bankrupt is not a way to get reparations. So things are getting crazy, and the idea, like you say, you would expect people to say, "Well." It's terrible to murder babies, but, you know, Israel, because they were the oppressors, they brought that on, but that people weren't even saying it was terrible to murder babies, just like people didn't say it was terrible to loot and shoot at, and in some cases, murder during those BLM riots. Wrong is wrong, and sometimes this moral relativity needs to be kind of kicked out the window.
uh, and and it's kind of sickening because these are young folks. And and I was heartened to find out that one of the law firms that had hired one of these bozos rescinded their job offer after, um, you know, so that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, and I would, I would add to that. You said something about how some people might not realize what they're getting themselves into, you know, right after Harvard, the 30 Harvard organizations came out with that abhorrent statement that, uh, you know, uh, that blaming the victim, blaming Israel for the massacre against it. Um, there were several students who immediately distanced themselves. They didn't realize that uh, that they were that the statement was in the works. They, that, that the organizations don't represent them, and I, I think we have to understand that there are a lot of college students out there. Their identities are in formation. They don't know who they are. Um, they're trying to figure it out. They're looking for some cause. They they don't have strong critical thinking skills because we certainly haven't provided that in the current American university, and so. They're lulled into, you know, very radical narratives that they haven't really thought through. And not all of them are horrible people. Um, I'm hoping some of them actually pause a second and say, like this young woman at Harvard did, you know, I don't believe that it's okay to go in and murder people. I don't believe it's okay to butcher babies. There's no justification. I hope some of them have the good sense to do that. And maybe this will be a turning point for a lot of those people, not the bad guys, the bad guys, the hardened ideologues that that put out these memes of the of the Palestinian murderers on gliders and the like that are organizing the days of rage. I have no hope for them. And to me, they're 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 enemies. But but for a lot of the young people who haven't yet formed their opinions, I you know Come on in. Let's have the discussion. Let's try to let's try to reason them out of these radical movements before it's too late. Well, I I I agree with your optimism there. You know, you can harken back to when I was in college. There were, uh, unfortunately, that's when uh, Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated, and it brought a lot of people uh, out of their malaise about what was going on with race relations in the United States. But nobody, even, frankly, even people who didn't care about Martin Luther King weren't saying, oh, good, I'm glad he's dead. Let's move on. I mean, that's the thing that has bothered me currently. And maybe seeing some of their classmates not be appalled at uh, stories, like you say, which we don't have to repeat because they're too sickening, um, maybe they'll say, wait a minute, that's not me. I'm a human being. And these people are human beings. And this is not how we treat our fellow human beings. Yes, let's hope this is a turning point in the discourse. This this empowers and emboldens people who have been sitting on the sideline who realize that they've been on the sidelines too long and they have to take matters in their own hands, which to me doesn't mean engaging in uncivil discourse, but rather pushing back against this 
ideological juggernaut in our universities and in our institutions. But SOPA does that, empowers the people who already agree with us, first and foremost, who already know this is a problem, and then also serves to influence the, the yet to be determined minds of so many young people who uh, are pulled in different directions and can finally see that that uh, they have to they have to stand clear of hatred and stand for democratic classical liberal values uh, the, the, what our society was built upon um, and I'm hoping this is one of those moments that uh, of clarity and consensus not not unanimity not that we have to agree on everything but that we understand the difference between between the the people perpetrating a massacre and the people who are trust trying to live their lives. I hope that's this moment in America. Well, on that note, I just have to thank you for coming and having this discussion. And as you say, discussion is what we need, open discussion, and not people being afraid to say what's on their mind. And we can learn from one another. And that's what we hope all of our shows are all about is so we can all learn from each other. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And I urge everyone to read the book, Woke Antisemitism. And we'll have a link to that on our write-up about the show and on our website. Thank you again, David, for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Marilyn. And I'd like to thank everyone for listening to America Out Loud Pulse. We have so many features now. We have our email feature where you can ask a question of the host or a guest and we'll get back to you. You can just email it in. First names are fine. And um, that's really been a fine feature. And we have a brand new one, americaoutloud.shop. And what that is, is its name speaks for itself. It's a shopping website. It has the books that our guests have written. It's got products like Cofix RX and other products from the wellness company. And if you type in the code out loud, you can get a discount on these products. So please visit the, the new shopping site and you might find some things that you would enjoy purchasing. So as I always say, whether you agree or have other opinions, please share the show. Thanks again for listening. And until next week, say it loud. I'm free and I'm proud.